Now on The Regeneration Show. How to stay away from toxic positivity with Brock Bastion. Walking around thinking how happy am I mm-hmm. is a bit pointless. There's right. surely more important things to think about in this world than whether or not my emotional state is where I'd like it to be. There's more important things to think about, more meaningful pursuits. Your itinerary is being regenerated. Please turn right, turn left, turn right. Regenerating. Please take a 180 degree turn. Please take another 180 degree turn. Going forward, wake up 15 minutes sooner. Keep up with world events. Determine your retirement spending needs. You are going in the wrong direction. Try Paleo. Regenerating. Conserve your water. Lower your resting heart Please rate. Please turn you around. You have left your oven on. You have reached your destination. The Regeneration Show with Andrew St. Germain and Stephanie Katona. Hello and welcome back to The Regeneration Show. <laughs> Redo, redo. You're going to say the regeneration shit. <laughs> I almost said shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that needs to be, you need to add that on there. The, sh- what's, the what's generation really- shit show. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome back to the regeneration show. I'm Stephanie Katona in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Andrew St. Germain in Toronto, Ontario. I know there's been a lot of changes happening at the speed of light for both of us. So do you have any updates for me? Speed of light. I like (laughs) that. I don't think I've ever moved that fast. (laughs) I think Um, that is super cheesy. (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, But I like cheesy, extra cheese. Um, No, speaking of light, I had something that I want to ask you. And not because we're bored or boring, but... I want to know about the weather in California because you're a Canadian girl born and raised. So mm-hmm. being in California, is it the same? Is it Groundhog Day every day? Is every day pretty much the same climate? The weather is always between 20 to 27 degrees here every day and sunny and sunny. Yeah. And so day to day, does it mess with you? Because I take my mood cues a lot from the weather. Like maybe I'm feeling a little bit. I don't know, in a hyper streak of going out with my friends all the time. And then a rainy day will just come along and be like, okay, maybe you should stay in today. Maybe you Mm. should read a book. Maybe you should be more reflective. But if it's just sunny and beautiful all the time, do you know how to gauge your emotions? That's a really good question, actually, because I'm the same like you. I'm very, my mood and emotions are very, the mood dictate, uh, sorry, the weather dictates that for me a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like it when it's rainy and stormy and just going into my own little world and cave. Yeah. Um, so, no, it's always sunny here. And it's it's very hard to stay inside because you just want to be outside and enjoy the weather. So even mm-hmm. when I'm inside uh, working, I feel like I should be outside because the weather is nice. Yeah. So it's this weird thing. So you're still but adjusting. I was wondering about that. I'm adjusting. But I mean, I'm not complaining because there's blue skies and sun here every day. I know, but okay. Are you able to wear your chunky turtleneck sweater? And no, I can wear my leather. Maybe I'm, you know what? In the evening, on a cooler evening, I might be able to. Did you even bother? Did you even bother packing it? Did you? I did. I did. I even brought a pea coat. I brought a pea coat to Los Angeles. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You might need to sell that. It's just going to take up I know. And it's heavy. Uh, You know, the packing thing I brought. I brought minimal things and this pea coat is the heaviest item that I brought and I'm not even wearing it. I, I love me. so much that you packed minimally, but you were like, I can't leave without my pea coat. <laughs> without my beige, beautiful pea coat yeah. that I'm never going to wear. I might need to sell it or just give it away. 
<laughs> anyway, what I wanted to highlight here is that change, even good change can be destabilizing, overwhelming and anxiety inducing. And I'm someone who's always had an, my MO is to just, you know, it's all to go to, it's all good. I got this. Like that's my classic line in life. Yeah. And my therapist slash intuitive healer lady that I work with, she called me out last week and she said, Stephanie, I know you're trying to pull out your checklist again and reach your goal of being done with healing and working on your emotions. But remember, this is a lifelong process and journey. And you know what? Thank God for her putting me in my place like that. Um, because yeah, I need, I need to get comfortable with the fact that big, even if there's big changes happening and they're positive, you can still feel, you know, fear and anxiety and just kind of being able to move through that and work with that. I think especially when you're moving, if you make a big life change, you never mm -hmm. want to highlight any of your doubts or you never want to even mention any of your discomforts or anxieties or anything because you don't want other people to weigh in like, oh, do you think maybe you made a mistake? Do you feel regret? Is that kind of what how you're feeling? No, no, it's more just it's just more a feeling of overwhelm and anxiety because there's just a lot of things, a lot of big changes happening. And yeah. the probably the biggest changes that have happened in my life since ever since since, you know, getting out of university and starting my first real job and all that. Right. Yeah. So my point is that even though I just want to be clear that even though I'm up here talking to you about being present with difficult emotions and becoming conscious, I myself still fall into these old patterns, but, you know, pausing and taking the time to self-reflect helps get me back on track. And another thing I'd like to share is that even though if you revert back to an old pattern of behavior, it does not mean you have failed and taken steps backwards because every time that we go back to an old way of being, we have this opportunity to really sit with it. And when we come out of it, we gain new insights and information about our inner world. And we start chipping away at these patterns with intention. And over time, the new you will begin to take the lead. I feel like moving triggers all of these emotions, don't you? Like oh, moving is huge. And I, you know what's interesting is I don't even like to move, but I've moved so many times in my life. Even in Toronto, I moved every year and a half to two years to a new place. So what does that say about my personality? Hmm. I don't know, but I have not moved. <laughs> I got to Toronto and I stayed put. So what does that say about my personality? I, yeah, I think, I think we're very different in that way. I think I was, I was reflecting and I was like, does this mean that I get bored easily that I need to have a new environment constantly? Mm. Um, so good. A lot of things to reflect on. And I just look around my apartment and I go, that couch is just so heavy and those shelves and like everything moving is so troublesome. I don't know how people do it all the time. Like, do you ever unpack the boxes? I know. Like, do you ever feel settled? I don't know. I mean, I always try to get most of it done in the first couple of weeks. Cause then if it just sits there for a month, it's just too much. You just yeah. feel scattered and you know how it is like your, your environment, the, your living environment is a reflection of your, your inner world. So you don't want to be living in a space that's with boxes everywhere. No, you know? I was giving this advice to someone in my life recently because they were moving from a family home 
into their own condo and they were trying to resist the tears. They were kind of talking sarcastically, like, oh, call the ambulance, waterworks. I'm being a total baby right now. And I said, stop talking like that. It would be weirder to me if you didn't cry on a life changing day like this. That is a healthy reaction. The unhealthy reaction would be to suppress it and go, no, I can't let anyone see me cry. Absolutely. So that mm-hmm. was my experience when I moved when I was 18 was it was my first day of college and my parents had helped me move into my apartment and then they left on their road trip back home. And it's way, way far away from where I currently live. And like I said, it was my first day of college. There was so much change on one morning and I just uh, literally closed the door behind my parents and just collapsed on the floor crying. And I was so afraid, Stephanie, that my mom, like, because she's notorious for forgetting things. I, I was afraid that I'd get a knock at the door like, sorry, I forgot my purse. I forgot my wallet. I forgot my keys. And then as see, see me as crying. you're bawling your eyes. Yeah, out. I just did not Aww. want them to see me cry. So I ran to my bedroom and I hadn't bought Kleenex or anything yet. So I'm like drying my eyes with t-shirts and underwear and like anything that <laughs> See, I could that's find. That's healthy. That is the like you that is a healthy way to deal and cope. And you with know that change. I've never cried about being alone ever since. I think I just purged all of my fears and anxieties that morning. And I've I've acknowledged everything that intimidates me about this. And now I'm just gonna face it. That's really good and healthy, like I said. And, you know, this ties into our whole topic for today, which is Mm -hmm. all about toxic positivity. Yeah. And we've been conditioned as a society to dismiss any emotions that are deemed as bad, you know, such as shame, anger, fear, and loneliness. And this pressure to feel okay and happy all the time really invalidates the range of emotions that we all experience. It can give off this impression that we are defective when we feel distress, which can be internalized in a core belief that we are weak or inadequate. So in today's episode, we are going to explore and tackle the topic of toxic positivity, the impact that it has on our psyche, the difference between valuing happiness versus prioritizing happiness, how to recognize toxic positivity messages, and how to navigate our way through it in the workplace, in our social circles, and on social media. So that's a lot. And so we can't do it alone. We're going to bring in Brock Bastion from Melbourne, Australia into the conversation. I'm gonna have to give you credit for like being able to pull pull this guest on with three different time zones. The guest outreach side must be guest outreach. Oh my god, do you know what happened to me? I'll tell you you a, a quick story. So a friend of mine who hosts a radio show, she knows I'm Indigenous, and she was producing a segment for and about Indigenous youth, and she asked me if I could help with the guest outreach. And I said, absolutely, and I reached out to all these different daycares and schools and after-school programs and community centers, and I try to incorporate traditional language um, Mm -hmm. in a way that you say hello in Ojibwe is buzu. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so cute because buzu kind of sounds like bonjour. And also sort of sounds like bizou, which I love B- Buzu. That's so Buzu. cute. Isn't it cute? It sounds it's... like the French for uh, hello and kisses. It's so, so, I, so it. I say, hello, Buzu. I'm Andrew. I'm reaching out for my friend so-and-so. But Stephanie, it was so embarrassing. The autocorrect changed Buzu to Boohoo. <laughs> <laughs> so I reach out to all these like youth programs and I'm like, hello, Boohoo. I'm Andrew. <laughs> reaching out for my friend and what a surprise no one got back to me i'm like it wasn't my fault it was autocorrect that stuff happens all the time 
I'm sure it does. I'm just still reeling from the embarrassment, but boo-hoo, I'll get over it. And how appropriate for today's show, because we are going to be dealing with all of our emotions. We're living with our negative emotions, and we are going to avoid toxic positivity. And to join this conversation, like I said, we are going to Melbourne, Australia, and we're going to meet Brock Bastion. He is the author of The Other Side of Happiness and a professor who researches pain, happiness, and morality. And he's next on The Regeneration Show. You're listening to The Regeneration Show with Andrew St. Germain and Stephanie Katona. Pass it on. TheRegenerationShow.com Joining us now is Brock Bastian. He is a professor in the School of Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne, whose research focuses on pain, happiness, and morality. In his research on well-being, he has addressed questions such as why promoting happiness may have a downside and why valuing our negative and painful experiences in life is a critical pathway to achieving happiness. His book, The Other Side of Happiness, was released in 2018, and he has published over 100 peer-reviewed journals that have been featured in outlets such as The Economist, The New Yorker, and the Huffington Post. He joins us now from Melbourne, Australia. Brock, welcome to The Regeneration Show. Thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here. So first of all, uh, me and Stephanie are both, she's currently in LA, but we are both Canadian born and raised. There's right. a lot of synergy between Canada and Australia. I've, yep. I hear that there they're is. very similar. Well, it's true. Although I have, uh, when I was, I spent some time in Canada and I was told that Canada is more like New Zealand. Mm. Um, sort of small, small brother to the larger continent, so to speak. But um, yeah, no, I think, but actually, I mean, in terms of culture, I, I do think, I mean, New Zealand and Australia are pretty similar too. Well, they don't, New Zealanders won't tell you that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of similarities. It's true. I, I have yet to visit Australia. I remember actually after finishing my undergrad, I wanted to go study at what university was that? It was in Melbourne, actually, the University of Melbourne. <laughs> no, 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 it was, I can't remember the name. RMIT or Swinburne or uh, La Trobe or Monash. No, Queensland, Queensland University. Is that in Melbourne? No, no, University of Queensland. That's in Queensland. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. Duh. <laughs> okay, yeah. close exactly. enough, close enough. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I haven't been to Australia. I do want to visit. So one day I'll yeah. make it out there. Yeah. Where did you where Absolutely. did you go when you came to Canada? Um, I, uh, I I went to to Banff um, and and washed some dishes and skied. Um, okay, as much as I could. Yeah, um, and then and then I then I um, went across to to Vancouver Island, um, and then hitchhiked across to um, got to Toronto, and then then caught a bus to Quebec. Okay, so That's you've been around. Adventure. Yeah, wow. yeah, been across Canada. Yeah, was yeah. that your first time skiing, by the way? No, no, okay. no. I worked a season as a uh, as a lifter. No, I've skied. We 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 have snow in Australia, you know. Yeah, I did know that. <laughs> I did not know that. There you go. <laughs> it's not as good as over there, but um, but no, I'd I'd been working in the in the snowfields here for a season and decided to follow everyone across to the next winter. So um, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed Canada a lot. That's awesome. All right, so let's get into it. Mm -hmm. So my first question before we get started is, what inspired you to want to study and research well-being and happiness? 
Well, I mean, broadly, I suppose, well, you know, promoting well-being or, or building mental health is, uh, is, is probably the core, you know, the core uh, tenant of, of psychology in general. Um, but also, I've, I've, I guess for me, I was interested in a slightly different angle on, um, on, on happiness. Um, I, when I, as I was doing my PhD, I was also training to, uh, to do um, counselling work. Um, applied work with people, and um, I learned I learned about um, a, an approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is really about how people um, learn to accept and be comfortable with their negative and unpleasant experiences in life. Um, and one of the things, as a social psychologist, again in my research, I'm more I'm more of a what you call a social psychologist, which doesn't mean I'm particularly good in social situations, but it does mean that I'm interested in the sort of contextual and um, those broader cultural as well influences on how people think and behave. Um, and so I guess I was interested in the fact that whilst in this particular form of intervention, we were focused on helping people to feel comfortable, you know, with their, their unpleasant and negative experiences in life, um, in the broader social context, very much the opposite message was often being pushed, um, where you would see that, that that importance placed on being happy, the, the, the value of positivity, even within psychology itself, um, the positive psychology movement, which again was a, an important iteration on a focus on mental illness, but um, in, in some ways perhaps got rolled out uh, in ways that didn't always take into account that it might have had that backfire effect where people felt the, the, the pressure to try and maintain these positive states. So I guess my, my approach to thinking about happiness is um, a, little bit, a little bit on that, that flip side where it's, you know, when can it become problematic, um, our search for happiness or our pursuit of it? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're fine in social situations too. <laughs> don't, don't cut yourself short. Exactly. <laughs> but about that flip side, what is exactly um, how would you define toxic positivity yeah so I, I, again I, I think that you know being being happy pursuing pursuing happiness in life is, is of course a really good thing you know it's it's um, it's valuable um, but I think it becomes toxic when that pursuit of it leads people to feel like they're failing as if there's something wrong with them as if they are not meeting their important goals in life to be happy whenever they experience those negative emotions. And of course, we inevitably do, we, we evolve to experience those emotions. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy value system. If you think about it to, to think, well, I'm experiencing some of these, you know, these evolved emotions that I'm meant to experience and now I'm failing in life, you know, where did that come from? But it, it, it is the way we tend to think about it. And I think that there are some, there are some um, sources uh, of, of social influence, which can, can lead to that too. Um, yeah, so I think toxic positivity is where that, that pressure to maintain happiness and the state of positivity all the time is so great that whenever we, whenever we dip away from that, we actually respond and react badly. Mm-hmm. So it's about managing expectations. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, um, a lot of poor mental health is often about misplaced expectations. Yeah. And what would you say are some of the negative impact that it would have on a person's psyche, just always trying to maintain this level of, you know, happiness and dismissing these other emotions? I mean, yeah. I, I can think there's probably a million. Yeah. Effects, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, I mean, broadly what we know is it just produces the opposite. So, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it, it actually leads to more unhappiness. It leads to more depression, more anxiety. It leads to uh, people to negatively evaluate themselves whenever they do have those negative emotions in life, which of course isn't helpful. You know, just to, to think just because you're feeling anxious, you're now a bad person or, mm-hmm. or value as an individual is somehow dropped is obviously not a helpful response. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, broadly, it just produces exactly the opposite. Um, another way of thinking about it actually is, is and this has been you know, another approach to, to understanding the process, um, you know, it's a little bit like if you think about human goal pursuit, when we when we set up a goal and we and we want to move towards that, we're often assessing along the way. You know, are we? Uh, how are we going in terms of meeting that goal? And often along the way, we might feel disappointed because we're not quite where we want to be. And if that's a fairly concrete thing like buying a car, then that disappointment will feed into my motivation to you know go and earn some more money, to save some more money, and then buy the mm-hmm. car. It doesn't make the car less attainable. Yeah. But when I'm when my goal is happiness or an internal state, mm-hmm. the, the, you know that that actual process of disappointment pushes that that, that state further away, makes it more unattainable for me. So it it, mm-hmm. it sort of frustrates um, it frustrates the ability to to, to achieve that goal. Um, so we, we, we just our our internal our internal worlds are, are sort of more ironic than we than our external worlds. Um, Definitely. And, and I mean, yeah. you see it everywhere. I think it's just it's so deeply ingrained in our society and you see it on social media. And I'll be honest, like I was the queen, maybe the queen of toxic positivity for most of my life until four yeah. years ago, until I started actually sitting with my emotions and stopped yeah. distracting myself. But I had always been mm-hmm. like, it's fine. It's all good. You know, yeah. not positive vibes, that whole thing. Right. Which is a load yeah. of crap really um and led me down a really into a really dark place for a long time like dealing with you know anxiety and depression so i I love this conversation and i'm happy that you're here talking about this yeah well i think often we just misinterpret what it means i I think i talked to a lot of people during you know melbourne melbourne we have we we now have the uh the prize of being the most locked down city in the world we're out of lockdown Mm -hmm. now thank god we're all pretty tired (laughs) Um, but you know, I mean, people were people were saying to me, "Look, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not coping." And I'm, uh, you know, and I'm like, "There's nothing wrong with you. It's a pandemic, and you're in lockdown. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're fine. The, these negative emotions you're experiencing are, are expected. It's it's what it's part of course. Um, and we just forget that sometimes. We think, well, how come I'm how how come I'm not coping? And what's what's wrong with me? It's, well, actually, probably nothing." Well, I think also the pandemic, the whole world came to a complete stop and we didn't have as much access to things that we were distracting ourselves with before, like social things and going out and drinking and all these things that people had been using. And so I think it was a really good opportunity for people to sit with those harder emotions and to really go inward. I think that it it went two ways for people. I think some people Mm -hmm. did take the opportunity to do that and some people we're like frazzled, like how I'm not sure, like, you know, what are all these things that are coming up, you know, and well, yeah. they weren't coming up. You just weren't repressing to, them for so re- long. Re- yeah. Repress them so easily anymore. And I yeah, think that's that's right. Right. the the pandemic kind of was a catalyst for a lot of this in some ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, um, in your research article on toxic positivity, you, you talked about this difference between valuing happiness and prioritizing mm. uh, positivity. positivity. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? What were your findings with this? 
So in that in that particular paper, we just we we picked up on um, so that that valuing happiness. It's, I mean, it's really I'm I'm talking there about two different measures that have been used in literature. So the valuing happiness measure was was used by a number of researchers who who started to identify that you know when people place a high level of value on on happiness, um, it, it tends to have this backfire effect. And 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 uh, you know so similar to sort of our research looking at it from a social perspective, they were looking at it yeah, more of the individual perspective. Um, and then and then uh, you know some other researchers perhaps a little more aligned with the positive psychology movement who felt that this was maybe you know short selling the value of pursuing happiness and positivity in life came along and developed a different measure, which was called, which I called prioritizing positivity. And whereas the valuing happiness measure is predicting, negatively predicting well-being, particularly in the US, um, the prioritizing positive positivity measure is positively predicting well-being. So one's bad for well-being and one's good for it. And so the yeah. question is, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think the way that they kind of pitched it um, in, in, the, in the, the sort of follow-up article looking at prioritizing positivity, um, they, they really, I suppose, it's, it's a bit more about structuring your world in a way which would allow for happiness or, mm -hmm. or, or thinking about things in a way which is, well, you know, if I do this and I do that, it's probably going to make me happier rather than thinking or constantly assessing how happy am I in the moment. So, you know, it's a little bit like that more behavioural approach to, to it rather than assessing and maintaining a, a kind of constant dialogue you know, am I happy enough right now? Mm -hmm. Or, well, I'm not really focused on my my immediate state so much, but I am focused on doing things that are likely to 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 lead to happiness following up from behind. Right. Um, but then, what we did in our research was to uh, to show that really another another important difference there was that whereas um, whereas uh, the the valuing happiness measure was was you know, associated with this, this measure we have in terms of how much pressure people feel to avoid their negative emotions, the prioritising positivity measure wasn't associated with it. So we sort of showed that, again, as I said before, what one of those key elements in making it toxic is that it actually leads people to feel very uncomfortable with their negative emotional states. Um, and, and so that, that tendency to constantly evaluate and constantly assess how happy I am in each moment tends to lead me to sort of feel bad or worse or um, respond badly, as I said before, to those negative states. So we, we kind of added that part, that, that piece to the picture, if you like, in, in our paper. Yeah. But just in that everyday default setting, should we aim to be happy throughout the day? Maybe content is a better word? Well, I just, I, I mean... I mean, I think it's good to reflect every now and again on our on ourselves, and and you know, people do that when they come into therapy. You know, you you, you reflect on how things are going for you, and often you do that at times when things aren't going so well, and you think, okay, something needs. I think I think something needs to change here, right? Um, and so, you know, people might come into therapy for that reason. They might might want to talk about what needs to change. Um, but but after after you've sort of sorted that out again. Um, you know, I often use this this rather crude analogy. You know, it's sort of like you take your car to the mechanic, but once you get it running again, you don't keep looking under the bonnet. You, you put the bonnet down and you, and you drive the damn thing. And I think that's sort of the analogy here, right? I mean, if if I think walking around thinking how happy am I mm -hmm. is a bit pointless. 
Mm-hmm. There's, there's right. surely more important things to think about in this world than whether or not my my my, my emotional state is where I'd like it to be. You know, exactly right. in that point, you know, in that point in time. And I do want to be able to reflect and have those insights. At some, you know, I want to be able to do that because if you can't, that's where you often end up in trouble. Right. But you know, once that's all sort of you know, done and dusted and I'm back on track again, there's probably more important things to think about, more meaningful pursuits, um, helping others, doing good, making a difference, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those things will make us happy. We know that. that um, I, I really do like what you said about prioritizing happiness because mm. putting things in place, taking action and doing things that'll ultimately elevate our sense of well-being, surrounding ourselves with the right people, working out, like sleeping, all of yeah. these things will ultimately lead us to being happier people, happier and more content rather than, like you said, focusing on obsessing over, am I happy all the time right now? Am I happy? Yeah. That Mm -hmm. is just not realistic. And, and, and absolutely. I mean, beyond, beyond the sort of basics, like, um, you know, just good, good physical and and general, you know, health, which is really important. I mean, exercise is really important. Mm -hmm. I think it's underrated sometimes. Um, but sleep is as well. We know that too. But apart from those things, I think, you know, some of those other pursuits, they're actually valuable in their own right, even if they don't mm-hmm. make you happy. And I think that's really important, you know. So, you know, they, they will make you happy eventually. And these are the things that are actually going to lead to overall probably greater well-being. But you're not, you're not evaluating them constantly whether or not they made you happy in that moment. And, and there are other reasons to do them too which I think are more important and more valuable. And sometimes that leads us to sort of step away from ourselves a little bit mm-hmm. um, and perhaps not be so obsessed with, you know, evaluating that part of it. Mm-hmm. I think they're just good habits to put in place. And I mean, mm. like you said, like you're not, it's not, oh, because I worked out, I'm not instantly going to be happy, but over time uh, of yeah. putting these healthy habits in place, it will likely probably lead you to being a more content yeah happy yeah. person in the long absolutely. run over time absolutely. if that makes sense yeah. no, absolutely absolutely but on a very elementary level making sense of toxic positivity it also kind of sounds like the person who's a little delusional and just too cheery all the time like that turn your friend yeah. upside down you referenced in the article so when someone is going through something like if a friend is coming to you with some sort of trauma in their life or grief or something mm. we are kind of expected to say Oh, it's going to get better or look on the bright side or, but what do we say in yeah. these moments without being so cliche and without also being unreasonable? Well, I think it's the same. It's the same thing that people need to learn for themselves. And, and maybe people who aren't comfortable for with it for themselves find it hard to do with other people, but you, you gotta, you gotta sit with some of that emotion sometimes, you, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to step away from it immediately or try and pull someone away from it immediately. I mean, you know, I, I mean, a, re- a really nice thing that I've heard in other cultures, people say, which I'm sorry, it doesn't mean I'm taking mm-hmm. responsibility for your pain. Um, I didn't, I'm not saying I did it, um, but I'm sorry that you feel that way. And it doesn't mean, oh, well, come on, let's get on, you know, back on the horse. You know, it's like, well, no, I'm sorry. Um, that seems really hard and really, really difficult for you. And you validate mm-hmm. that. And then, you, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. You, don't need to, you don't need to kind of quickly step away from it because you, it, it, it feels uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, that's what people need. They need, to, they need to feel heard and validated. And when you sort of try and step away from it too quickly and when people sort of, oh, well, don't worry, let's, you know, you, you don't feel heard. People don't feel validated. Mm-hmm. 
That's really sometimes I feel like people really just need your presence and for you to just hold that right. space for them. And you don't even need to say anything. A lot of the time, I think it's just people want to be seen and heard and validated. And I think that you being there and your presence there ultimately, I think is all they need. You don't even need to say yeah. much, you know? No, exactly. Exactly. But exactly. we're uncomfortable. We get, well, not everyone, but you know, most, because again, society. So we're uncomfortable with, okay, this person's dealing with a lot of grief. I'm not sure I can handle the discomfort of my own emotions when this, mm. of, or, I, I don't know if I can hold the space for this person. So yeah. I'd rather maybe just not be there or just distance myself. Yeah. Some people sometimes feel offended by it. They feel, don't put your stuff on me, you know? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's a whole other story, right? There's. <laughs> but is that is much. also maybe a side effect of toxic positivity. If you don't acknowledge how you're feeling in the moment, it's bound yeah. to backfire, as you said, later. And at that yeah. point, you're taking it out on people who didn't even trigger that in the first place. Mm. So if, yeah. if work is frustrating you and then you take it home with you, then that's yeah. unfair to your friends and family. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But um. But no, I think I think in the general principle is you know that, that it's important. You know, look, life life sometimes you know gives you lemons, and that's just how it is. There's no point yeah. in we don't always have to turn to lemonade. You know, <laughs> sometimes yeah. you can just go, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just be and be in that state and be okay yeah. with it. Be okay with not being okay, as yeah, you said. I think you did yeah. mention that in your article. Yeah, be okay with yeah. not being okay. Yeah, uh, another word. Another word I often use is getting discomfortable. You discomfortable know, being, Ooh, i like that and comfortable with the discomfort i mean i think i think that you know we often just worry that we're opening pandora's box or we're going to sink um you know really a really nice analogy actually so this is 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 the idea of quicksand so often we think that our negative emotions are a bit like quicksand right and and you know we, we want to step away from them because we might sink into them and it all feels too much but actually if you think about i, I don't know if you've ever been stuck in quicksand um, and I never have I don't even no. know where quicksand exists to be honest but I've been told that if you ever do get stuck in quicksand that what you don't do is struggle um you don't try and get away or get out if you as the, the more you struggle in quicksand right, you just, mm-hmm. right? so what you do instead yeah. is you, you you spread eagle you try and establish as much contact with the, with the surface of the quicksand by you know, with 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 your body as you possibly can, and then you're probably more likely to float, and you stop struggling. And that's really a nice analogy for how we want to respond to our negative emotions. When we struggle with them, we sink into them. But actually, if we come close, establish contact with them, and and stop struggling, they actually diminish. We don't sink. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's an ironic process again, but it's it's a nice one in terms of thinking about. I suppose that that difference between um, you know, yeah, struggling with those or becoming comfortable with them and allowing them to be. I I think there's a lot of fear that people experience when it comes to like, I think the fear Well, for me in my past, anyway, the fear had always been, I'm not sure I can cope with these, these quote unquote negative emotions. And I don't even like to say negative emotions because there's no such thing as good or bad emotions. They're just emotions. Unpleasant. Unpleasant, unpleasant, right? And I think that there's that fear, that underlying fear for people that I'm not sure that I can cope. So what, what you just said about the quick, like just allowing the emotion to flow through you without trying yeah. to resist it i love that that quicksand yeah, yeah. i love it yeah it's it, it actually it becomes it sort of has diminished you know i think and i think another nice way of thinking about it is you know often 
when you turn away and run from these things, they actually get bigger and bigger from behind. But mm-hmm. if you turn around and face into them, they start to diminish. Um, and 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 a, a nice you know a nice way of thinking, well, a very practical way of thinking of that is is actually you know what one of the one of the things that I you know I often tell people who are experiencing panic attacks is you know next time you feel like panicking, try as hard as you can to panic. Mm. Um, and, oh. and actually, you, you can't. It's, you know, it tends to, it, I mean, it doesn't mean you won't ever have a panic attack again, but it's a nice way. You've turned around and you've gone, okay, bring this on. And as soon as you do that, the panic dissipates because it's, you're, you're counteracting it with, with, by, you know, with an approach-oriented you know, stance. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes turning around and facing into these things diminishes them as opposed to, you know, if you try and get away from the panic and you try not to have the panic, it tends to act, you're actually more likely to panic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like fear, like when, you know, yeah. fear is if we actually just bring it to the surface and kind of work with it and make friends with it, you know, it loses its power Absolutely. in a way. That's right. That's right. So, so, so it tends. So again, our intuition is to, you know, is to is stepping into these things might lead us to sink into them, but actually it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. So that's very practical for in, in the moment when you feel the panic coming on or when you feel that, but you also mentioned in the article, the attitudes to happiness when people prioritize behaviors that maximize the likeliness of future happiness, rather Mm. than attempting to directly increase their levels of happiness in the moment, they are more likely to experience improvements rather than deficits in their uh, well-being. Um, Can you expand on that? Well, again, that's that idea of of the more behavioral approach, you know, structuring your life in a way which you know is healthy, which you know is likely to contribute to your well-being, um, perhaps doing things, helping others, connecting with friends, you know, doing things that are meaningful and purposeful. All of these things are valuable in their own right. Um, but you, we also know these are the sorts of things that are likely to, to you know, to lead to overall well-being. Um, and, and if we, we sort of focus on making sure that they're part of our lives, then we also know that our, our, our happiness will follow. It will follow up, um, but we're not, we're not kind of constantly evaluating, you know, is this making me happy or I'm doing this because I, I, I expect it to make me happy. Um, sometimes my reasons are, alter, are, are otherwise. Some, sometimes, I'm, sometimes I know I'm connecting with friends because they need me there. Um, and that might be a really, it's actually, it's actually a really nice thing to do is to be there for somebody else because they need you and look, yeah. it'll, it'll make you happy, but you're not doing it for that reason. Mm-hmm. I've heard that to-do lists help. Even if you write even your mundane tasks, like make your bed, just that check mark, like, yes, I made my bed today. And <laughs> absolutely. Like, it yeah. makes you feel accomplished little by little. Well, absolutely. So, so I think, um, you know, a big part of, um, of, of cognitive behavioral therapy and the behavior, the behavioral part to that is just a recognition that structure in our day allows us to, um, I think, structure our internal worlds as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you get up, when you sort of roll out of bed at 10 in the morning and think, what am I going to do today? There's a lot of room for anxiety and depression yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you sort of get up at 8.30 and you're like, right, you know, breakfast, uh, 9 o'clock, go for a walk, 10 o'clock, do something, you know, then this and this. And then and then you get to the end of the day, you go, right, okay, I did all those things. That's good. I feel a sense of achievement, as you said. So, yeah, that that actually helps us to keep our emotional worlds in check by having those behavioral routines in our lives. We, we, we do, we do well with some routine, you know, we, we got to get out of that routine too sometimes, but have a break, yeah. but yeah. on average having some routine is quite, I, I can't live without my checklist. I don't know how people do it. Like I, I wonder, does everyone have a checklist? Cause I definitely do. 
I think I think we all do. I probably just maybe we just vary on 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 you know on the on detail. The <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I think it's also important to you know recognize where we're getting these toxic positivity messages. You know whether it's in our workplace, within our families, and our social circles, and you know how we can how can we manage or work through it if we're experiencing if we're coming bumping up against that in our work or within our families? Like how do we navigate our ways through that without, you know, offending anyone or not, and not invalidating ourselves. Well, I think, I think awareness, as with most things in in psychology, awareness is sort of 95% of the game. So, you know, when you're aware of the influence, you're able to, um, you're able to account for it and and to recognize that it's playing a role and then, and then take that into account in the way you respond. So, uh, I, I think I think some of the I think some of the the inroads in this are often not even intentional. So I, I think a big one is probably advertising. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're, because we're advertised to a lot, um, and advertisers, of course, want us to see that their products are going to make us happy. So they pair their products with happy faces. If you if you have a have a look, um, you know, if you have a look around you. Um, there's a lot of happy faces um, looking at you constantly, and and so you you know it's it's that that just sets up a norm for us. It sets mm-hmm. up a norm. Okay, everyone, this must be how I'm meant to feel. Um, so you know, I think I think advertising is an important route there. Um, I, again, I think you know the, the cultures that we we work in maybe as well, and some of the ways that you know organisations perhaps have set up their cultures maybe a little bit like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, families too. A lot of families feel uncomfortable. And, and look, that can be a little bit harder, I suppose, because these are people who we do want to be able to rely on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that can be a little more difficult. Um, but again, I think, you know, I think there are a lot of these, you know, social media, of course, is a massive one. I mean, you know, yeah. how many, I, I don't know what you were referring to before, Stephanie, but I'm assuming maybe some of that toxic positivity was portrayed on social media and, and you know, we all... Oh. Oh, you know, yeah. we all do that, right? We don't, we don't, we don't take a photo of our face there, you know, looking sad and say, you know, just failed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And social media is huge. And I mean, my, my advice is like to people with that one is because you can get really sucked in the rabbit hole with that, with all the toxic positivity messages is to really be conscious of the accounts that you're following. The five yeah. accounts that you follow, I feel yeah. like they should be inspiring um, they should be authentic yeah. and, you know, just really being mindful of what you're consuming on social media. I think a lot of yeah. people, unfortunately, especially the younger generations, they're, mm. you know, um, there's a lot of messages out there that are not helpful and, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think there, there is, there, you know, there are these influences. Um, you know, we've also started ranking countries on their subjective well-being, you know, on their mm. levels of happiness. So we know that Denmark is the happiest country in the world. I've heard, yeah. Uh, really? I I well, I'm not sure if the Danish actually necessarily all agree with that. I think they feel... I think they feel I have to say that because it's a very it's a very sort of socialist culture, and if they don't, they're letting everyone else down. <laughs> sorry, sorry, all the, Dan- the Danish out there, I've got that wrong. But I, I, I um, I, you know, again, that's that's been a really important and advance in terms of thinking about uh, the kinds of you know well being indicators that go beyond GDP and these more objective indicators. The subjective well being is important to think about in terms of the success of a country. 
but again, it's 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 sort of led to a ranking system, and you know now we're sort of ranking countries and their happiness, and of course that mm. sends a message too. So I think these messages are are quite um, you know they, they 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 come from quite a few different multiple directions. But I guess it's about just recognizing that sometimes we are going to be in situations or in, or, or see influences even quite subtly around us that you know maybe promote the value of of positivity and happiness, and and just. Just to to remember to you know to perhaps mitigate that a little bit for ourselves, also mitigate that a little bit in the way we we respond to other people as well. Yeah. Um, make that space for you know that it's okay if you if you wake up you know again if you wake up and you're having a blue day, um, the best thing is just to go and have a blue day. Do all the things that yeah. are okay for a blue day, and you'll probably find you're better off the the, the next day after that. For but sure. if you can't start getting frustrated with yourself and start to you know, struggle with that, and you're probably going to be blue the next day too. Yeah. So it's you know, it's just realizing and recognizing there's time for that, time and place for that. Yeah, and not comparing yourself to the influencers or comparing yourself oh. to Danish influencers, exactly. <laughs> least of all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They, they, they days too, I'm sure. <laughs> because we, yeah, I was going to say because we know they're obviously experiencing blue days too. They're just not talking about it. Get discomfort. What was it again? getting discomfortable i love yeah, that i love that too so is this this is your this is your third show so this is our third yeah yeah, so yeah we're so happy to have you on thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and insights on this topic and i really enjoyed reading your research article on toxic positivity you know a lot of new insights and information well definitely in today's episode which i'm thank sure you, you guys for did. making making us feel international and legit even though i guess we are the same as canadian and australians that's right. That's we all right. we all answer to the same queen. It's true. That's true. We do still. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you take care there in Australia. Likewise. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Bye, Brock. Thanks. Bye, Brock. You're listening to the Regeneration Show. I'm Andrew Saint Germain, and I'm Stephanie Katona. And we have been speaking with Brock Bastian, a professor at the University of Melbourne, and the author of The Other Side of Happiness. And we have been talking about toxic positivity. And really quickly, you know what I remembered just now, Stephanie? What is that? The book that you lent me last winter, The Rosie Project, he was also a professor at the University of Melbourne. He was. Now that rings a bell, actually. That's so, so interesting. Good I wonder, book, right? I, I wonder if they know each other. Well, there's a sequel to that book, by the way, which you can borrow in my because it's in my storage now in Canada. So maybe somehow we can get it to you. Because you're going to send me good. on a mission to your storage unit <laughs> to the storage unit all the way up north. All right. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. But on the topic of our friend Brock Bastion of the University of Melbourne, uh, how do you think the conversation went? It was really, really good. And I think that so if I'm going to reflect back on our whole episode and conversation with him and, you know, what I've learned or unlearned. I'm going to say the biggest takeaway for me um, in terms of unlearning in that episode was his whole find his whole, the whole research that he did around prioritizing positivity versus valuing happiness and how it's actually better for our mental health and well-being to prioritize positivity because we are essentially prioritizing things that will lead to more contentment, but we're not fixated on having to be happy and that being the only purpose which is what happens when we're valuing happiness we're constantly 
asking ourselves, am I happy right now? And so it becomes, so the way I look at it, it's more process oriented versus outcome oriented. Mm. Prioritizing happy positivity is more process oriented. And so um, the way I can actually, what I would compare this to as a trainer and someone who's worked in you know, health and fitness, it's kind of like comparing it to starting off on a fitness journey. So if you're obsessed and fixated on fat loss and the number on the scale, it will, it can lead to disappointment, feeling defeated, unhappy. But if we focus on the whole journey and embrace the whole process of doing things that'll make us feel better, such as better sleep, nutrition, exercise, this will naturally elevate our sense of well-being and then the aesthetic results will just follow. Yeah, that makes sense. If there's other more shallow, superficial things that are holding you back from feeling satisfied in your accomplishments, it sounds like you're prioritizing the wrong thing. Exactly. So I thought, yeah, so that was the one that was the biggest thing that I learned unlearned in this episode. How about you? I learned that bonnet is another way to say the hood of a car. Um, I learned that, you know, it's interesting. It's actually, it goes back to our conversation with Lynn in our previous episode where she talked about having to name your emotions, mm-hmm. um, anger, shame, fear, loneliness. It's, it's harder than it sounds. Actually. I've been trying to do that ever since that conversation, because she also said emotions are there to teach us. So if you suppress anger, if you suppress shame, suppress fear, suppress loneliness and prioritize happiness above that, then you're not getting the lesson that those emotions are trying to teach you. Mm-hmm. So this unlearning process for me started on our previous episode. And so since then, just going through my day-to-day life, walking down the street and on the train and stuff like that, I've been trying actively to name my emotions. And I don't think happiness is my default emotion. I think I'm more of a person who actually keeps sadness and melancholy more on the surface, but it's easier for me to then identify happiness when it occurs because it's more prominent. But then I think I go back to my default setting of more reflective and more calm. And I think that's good though. I I think that, I think that shows that you can experience in a healthy way, the full range of your emotions because you're comfortable, obviously, like you said, you're comfortable being in that state sometimes of melancholy or sadness or self-reflection. Well, you I'm don't, not... it's not like you're trying to escape it. And we talked about this, me and you, we had a conversation that, you know, sometimes you just want to like, you know, crawl up in your bed and read a book and just be sad. Yeah. You know, or, or just be in that state. I like it too. Sometimes actually, I like it a lot. Well, because I'm not someone who puts headphones on and shuts myself off to the world when I'm in public. I like to be sensitive to my surroundings. I like to be inspired by my surroundings. And mm-hmm. a lot of our surroundings, there's a lot to be positive and happy about, but it's it's a sad world. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of disappointment. And so to be toxically positive all the time, I associate that with delusion. And I, I think I think you're if you're not delusional, then you're just complacent. I think we should be inspired to better our surroundings. And in order for that to happen, we have to be realistic and positivity and happiness all the time is unrealistic. No, I, I mean, yes, I, I mean, no, yes, <laughs> no. I agree. You're <laughs> yes. wrong, Andrew. No, I totally agree with that. Back to what you were saying, there was one thing I wanted to touch on 
something that I said in the episode that I wish I had elaborated on. Um, so I'm going to do that right now. That I'm speaking with the queen of toxic positivity. Yeah. So um, when I said that, I think, so what came to mind was, so I grew up around a lot of messages that were kind of toxic positivity messages, like a lot of messages like follow your bliss or always maintain a positive attitude. As long as you have a positive attitude, you can get through anything. So I kind of developed like a bit of a stoic kind of mentality in a way. And, and, and it's, it, what's interesting is that I internalized, so I internalized a lot of these messages and adopted this attitude of kind of only being able to show that I was okay and happy, like nothing was ever wrong. Like, and this ties naturally into my perfectionistic tendencies, which doesn't allow much room for feeling like I've failed. But the interesting thing is I chose a career um, where, you know, working with clients one-on-one who were, you know, like I had been, I had been exposed to some of people's like you know, deepest secrets and like being vulnerable with me and really opening up to me on an emotional level. And I was, that was my strong suit had always been to be able to be this empathetic person that was holding space for these people, like no matter what they were feeling. And I found that so interesting because I had never given myself the same level of compassion that I had showed my clients and all essentially all the people in my life. Mm -hmm. And so basically what I meant in the episode, queen of toxic positivity towards myself. When you said that, it reminded me of another thing that I learned from the episode. When people do confide in you, it does a disservice to that moment and to your friend or family member to tell them to look on the bright side. Of course, these emotions are fleeting and it will get better, but they aren't confiding in you to hear that. They're confiding in you to have that emotion where they are right now validated. Exactly. And the worst thing you can do to someone is, is when they're going, when they're in their pits of despair and they're really in all in the mess of that and feeling that emotion so powerfully is to say something like, turn that frown upside down or it'll get better. It's like, no, 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 no. That is like the worst thing. But Brock's suggestion was to say, I'm sorry. And that's very gracious of him. But here in Canada, we have butchered that expression to death. (laughs) And we say, I'm sorry to everyone about everything. Um, but just along those lines of this is I'm your, here for you. I'm That's here for it. you. And I care about you. And I'm here if you want help. And no, but- or sometimes you don't even need to uncover it for them. Like, I, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's good to ask, you know, why you're feeling lonely or let's pinpoint where the emotion's coming from. But sometimes it's just, you know, I'm here. I'll give you a hug. Mm hmm and just be present you know but not to be toxically positive because as we've learned that does not work exactly so i think we did unlearn and learn quite a few things in this episode thanks Mm -hmm. brock yeah thank you brock and the university of melbourne for providing us the rosie project and brock bastion the author of the other side of happiness who we've been speaking to about toxic positivity So just wanted to thank you, Andrew. He managed to pull together the three of us from three different time zones in a matter of like three days. Pretty impressive. Thank you for saying thank you. Thank you for thanking me. It made me happy, but not in in the toxic kind of way. (laughs) 
And cover art for The Regeneration Show is by Antonella Giordano. Photography by Alexandria Yar. Featuring narration by Andrea Ruse. Join Andrew and Stephanie for the next Regeneration Show and pass it on. TheRegenerationShow.com. Regeneration Show.